Amen. Thank you for that. Turn to Exodus chapter 4, if you would please. Exodus chapter 4. Going to read the first five verses to get us started tonight. Exodus chapter 4. Of course, in chapter 3, Moses first meets God at the burning bush, 80 years of age, and God calls him to go serve him. So we get to chapter 4, verse 1, and Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. What is in thine hand? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus And I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, speak to our hearts. Challenge us tonight with what you could do with each of our lives if we were just totally surrendered to you. Have your way in our hearts tonight, and God will thank you for what you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting in the scripture, the things, some of the things that God mentions many times that seem... Uh, to be rather insignificant. And yet God mentions them and they're given a place of great importance. When God called Moses, he did not think his life was much. As a matter of fact, he did not think his talents were much. He had spent the last 40 years on the backside of the desert just simply taking care of sheep. And that seemed to be the way his life would end up going for the rest of his life, just dealing with sheep. Uh, he doubted his ability to speak. He not only that, he doubted his ability to get anyone to follow him. Why should anybody follow him? Because the only ones that have been following him have been sheep for a long time. Why would people think that he was anything worth following? God uses the simple, ordinary shepherd's rod to teach Moses what God can do with a simple piece of wood And if he can do that with a simple piece of wood, what he can do with an individual that is totally surrendered to him. And if he can do those things with that piece of wood, look at what he can do with a piece of clay. He took dust and out of it he formed man, just out of dust, and gave man life. Do you understand? Our God is all possible, all powerful. He can use you. He can do something with you. So many people, so many times I've heard folks say, well, I don't know why God would want me to do that. I'm not anything. And what they don't understand is when you realize that is when you can finally be something for the glory of God. I want you to notice some things about this rod that is talked about in chapter 4 and in a number of different places also in the Old Testament. This is kind of my Obed-Edom message tonight. You remember the super conference and having Brother Freed Ware here. It's not going to be near as good as what his message was. But if you can get it, it sure is going to help you. And if you'll let that rod represent your life. I mean, after all, what's a stick going to do? 
a stick, unless somebody else picks it up, isn't going to count for much. But first of all, notice that it was just a common rod. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. All shepherds had a rod. This was not an uncommon instrument. It was a very common instrument. Just plain, common, ordinary rod. A dead piece of wood. You think about ourselves, really, spiritually speaking, we are nothing. God got along without me for a long time before I ever came along. And when I'm dead and gone, he's going to do just fine. God's not going to panic when I die. You understand what I'm saying? Thank God for what he can do, though, with a person, a sinner that he has saved by the grace of God. Just think of some of the things that God used in Scripture. He used a rooster. Used that rooster to rebuke Peter. Not only that, he used a donkey to speak to a backslidden prophet. Not only that, he used a dove to help Noah know that it was time to leave the ark. Not only that, he used a raven to feed Elijah when Elijah had run from Jezebel and possible death. He used a little child's meal to feed 5,000 men at one time. Through no power of the child at all. All done by Jesus, but he used that child's meal. He used some spit and dust to cause the eyes of a blind man to see. It's amazing the things that God uses. And friend, you may not think that you're much. Teenagers, I want you to get this. Uh, Young people, young adults, I want you to get this. Adults, I want you to get this. If God could use those things... He can do something with your life as well. You need to get this. As a matter of fact, let me show you what God uses. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice beginning in verse 18. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things that are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. When you understand you're not much, that you're one of the base things, you're one of the foolish things. When you get to that place where you understand that, then you've come to a place where God can actually do something with you. Why? 
so that the glory not belong to the person who's doing it, but it belongs to the God who is using him. In all things, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It is not about the preacher. It's not about the missionary. It is not about the evangelist. It's not about the singer. It's all about God. We need to get a hold of that. We like to laud plaudits upon men uh, for the things that they do. And some, let's face it, there are some that are very, very eloquent. Some are very clear of speech. I, my grammar's not good enough to be eloquent. Now, I can yell, but yelling, I mean, people, people yell all the time. I grew up being yelled at. Sometimes that gets through. Sometimes it doesn't get through. Sometimes God can use yelling. Sometimes it's a still small voice that God uses. I'd like to describe preachers this way. Some are 78s, some are 45s, and some are 33 and a thirds. Now, the only problem with that is you had to have a record player sometime in your life in order to understand what I'm even talking about. So how many don't have a clue? Okay, too many. And Brother John was pointing at Gerald. Is that right? He didn't get a, have a clue. He knows what a record player is. It used to be a long time ago. There were those big 78 records. They only had one song per side, a 78 record, and it would go around 78 times. I guess that was what? Per minute? Was it a minute? 78 times per minute. And then they came up with those small 45, still only had one song on each side. They went around 45 times per minute, and the 33 and the thirds were the big albums that had a number of songs on the side, and they'd go around 33 and a third times per minute. But you know what? If they all had the same song on them, you'd hear the same song on all of them at exactly the same speed. That was an amazing thing. I s- listen, some churches need a 33 and a third. Some churches need a 78. Some need a 45. But the church needs to let God decide what it is that they need. We may want something different, but we need to let God decide what it is that we need. It was just a common rod. That's what it was. Number two, then it became a cast down rod. You look at verse 3, and he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. Cast it on the ground. Now, he doesn't ask him why. I think that's interesting. God tells him to cast it on the ground. He just cast it on the ground. He doesn't argue with God. Now, he had argued with God when God called him. He gave all kinds of excuses why he couldn't do it. And so he tells Moses, cast it on the ground. Well, now it's not about him, he thinks. And so he cast it on the ground. And what happens when he cast it on the ground? The Bible says, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled before it. You see, he did what God told him to do. God gave him the order. He simply obeyed the order. And when he cast it on the ground, it became a serpent, and he took off running. It scared him. He wasn't expecting that to happen. God did that. As a matter of fact, as he began to run from it, notice what takes place next. For it says in verse 4, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. He's not grabbing a rod now. Now he's to grab a serpent. I remember hearing Bill Rice II many, many years ago in chapel 
he was preaching on this. And he said at that time, he said, you know, Moses had given the excuse that he was so speech, he couldn't talk. And so uh, he said, uh, Moses looked at him when God stopped and told him to, to pick it up by the tail. He said, Lord, I, I, I told you I, I don't talk too good. I don't hear so well either. But, <laughs> but Moses doesn't do that. He put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now, Moses did not have the power in himself to change that common rod into a serpent. He didn't have the power to take a live serpent and make it again a common rod. That was all God. Moses was told by God to throw it down and then to pick it up. That miracle is done simply because Moses did what he was supposed to do and God himself is the one who worked the miracle. You say, preacher, I'm not much. I can't speak well. My grammar's not good. Well, welcome to the class. Uh, but you can still obey God. Just surrender to God. Do you want to waste your life or do you want to count for something? If you want to count for something, give yourself to the Lord. Say, God, you do something with it. Otherwise, you'll go through life without accomplishing anything for eternity and waste your time while you're on this planet or you can make it count. The world is all about fame and fortune. The world is all about power. But for God, it's all about surrender. Surrender my will to him. Surrender my life to him. I may not be much, but if I give it to the Lord, if he can take a child's meal and feed 5,000 people, I do believe he can do something with me. I mean, I wasn't brought up in a preacher's home. You know that. I wasn't brought up with any Bible training. I was so Bible ignorant when I got saved at the age of 22. And over the years, I look back and see the things that God has done. And by the way, normally he doesn't just use one person. Normally, he uses a whole lot of people to have an impact. You, know, you look at Madison Baptist Church and what's taken place over these 39 years of Madison Baptist Church. Literally, we are now in our 40th year and we'll celebrate our 40th anniversary in, uh, in November, October of this year. But you look, at all the, uh, you look at all the souls that have been won in Uganda the preachers that are in Uganda who have now had preachers called out from their ministry. One guy surrenders to go to a field. First independent Baptist church or independent Baptist missionary in Uganda after the terrible reign of Idi Amin. Now other missionaries have come since then. More people have been reached. But we have so many preacher boys there. We ended up, we had seven families out of our church there at one time. I don't know how many of them would have been there had Tony not just simply obeyed God's command to go. He didn't have any special connections when he got there. Get the book. Unto God be the glory. Read it. See what God did. God took care of them. God provided. There's so many stories in there that I believe is as, they're as great of uh, missionary stories as any you'll read from the missionaries back in the 1800s and 1700s. But God did it. It wasn't a special power in him. He just looked to the Lord. So he cast it down. You give your life to preach and realize that life and death are in the power of preaching. He's chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And you don't have to 
know your grammar well. I still think about the one fellow that we had in Manchester, Tennessee. I'd led him to Christ, and he came. He was excited about going out soul winning. And he went out soul winning, came back one night. He had won three people to the Lord. He was telling me about it. Man, he was just so excited. He, he said, Preacher, I, I couldn't think of the passage. Where is the passage of, of Peter and the Ethiopian eunuch? He said, because I told him the story of Peter and the Ethiopian eunuch. I couldn't think of where it was at. And three of them got saved tonight. Praise the Lord. And I said, it's not in the Bible. I don't know that Peter ever met the Ethiopian eunuch. I do know that Philip did, though. The thing is... <laughs> Powers in the gospel. For the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Power's not us. We have a powerful God. If you're resting in your own power, you're not going to be accomplishing much. By the way, it's the same way with teaching. It's the same way if you're going to sing. You want to be a blessing when you sing? Are you trying to wow people with your talent? Are you trying to let God take the message of the music to deal with their hearts and to prepare them for the preaching of the word? See, there's a vast difference in those things. Understand that God can take a common rod and when it's cast down, he can make something out of it that no one ever would have thought. So God gives him some orders here and then he gives him the order to pick it up by the tail and he reaches down and he does it. It says in verse 4, and he put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Moses' part was simple obedience. It wasn't a trick. Now the magicians, when they copy it, it's going to be a trick for them. It wasn't a trick for Moses. He didn't know what God was going to work either time, but God used it. So it was a common rod. It was a cast down rod. You give your life to the Lord Jesus and let him do with it what he will. I do believe that every young person before they go off to college, they ought to ask God, what do you want me to do? And you ought to go where God wants you to go. You say, well, I want to do this, this, and this with my life. What's first? If God's will's not first, you're missing something. God doesn't call everyone to preach. And God doesn't call everyone to be a missionary. But the truth is, he ought to have first choice in your life. If he wants you on the mission field, if he wants you as a preacher, if he, ladies, if he wants you as a preacher's wife, you say, well, I could never do that. Surrender yourself to God, you'll be shocked at what he could use you to do. But it takes that kind of surrender. And then it became a converted rod. First, it was just a plain rod. He calls it a rod in verse 2. And then it became a particular rod. If you look at verse 17, the scripture says, And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. It is never again after this point simply called a rod. It becomes a particular rod. It's called this rod, it's called thy rod, or it's called the rod. But it never again is just called a rod. This is a particular rod that God is going to use in the life of Moses. And it became a powerful rod. Look at verse 20. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took, now notice this, the rod of God in his hand. 
Now Moses has not been elevated yet, but his rod has. From just a rod to the rod to thy rod, and now suddenly it's the rod of God. That's what God did. That's amazing what he can do with you. Made a little lower than the angels. Hey, he can do great things with your life. Let him do it. Just let him do it. After all, this life is so short, but eternity is forever. It's worth letting God have in control of your life. But then it became a contagious rod. If you would, go over to chapter 7 and look at verse 9. This is amazing. It says in verse, well, let's read verse 8 first. And when the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And now his brother is challenged to take his rod and to cast it before Pharaoh, for it to become what Moses' rod had became. It is amazing what surrendering to serving God and giving your life to serving God can do for really your service being contagious in reaching others. I personally believe one of the reasons that we have had so many people surrender to full-time Christian service a reason that we've got 26 missionary families now out of our church. We've had, a number, we've had a number of others that have gone to the mission field. Some of those are now pastors here in the state. I believe it has a lot to do with our missions conference. It's amazing how many of our people have surrendered during missions conferences. Because we have the Vacation Bible School, like Brother Feinauer said, it is a busy week. We know that it's a busy week, but you get to see the missionaries. You get to know the missionaries. It's not like a Sunday night service where they come in and they have a 20-minute presentation. Part of that is a video of the land that they're going to, and then they leave, and you don't really know them. But when you're around them for the week, when you're praying with them for the students and for the work that's going on, and you're working with them, you get a heart. You say, hey, they can do it. I can do it too. God, would you use me? I remember John R. Rice saying, now I do believe in a call, but I remember John R. Rice saying and reading Isaiah chapter 6. Then, I, then he said, uh, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responded with, hear my Lord, send me. John R. Rice said when he saw the need, he just simply surrendered and God took him. In that passage in Isaiah, right after he says, Here am I, Lord, send me, God then says, Go. He says he hadn't heard of God saying no to surrendered hearts. Sometimes God uses people to inspire and stir up others to serve the Lord. Now you got to be careful about this because it is something special to serve the Lord. But you can't let pride enter in. If God gives you the blessing of getting to see some results with some people getting saved and some lives being changed and some people getting excited about God, the worst thing you can do is get prideful. That's God using a stick. 
That's God using you. It's like having a hammer. You can have a hammer all day, but as long as it just sits there and not in control of something with power, it's not going to nail any nails. In order for it to work, it's got to be in the hand of the craftsman who uses it. We're just dumb hammers that God has to pick up and use. But what a joy to be allowed to serve him. You know, in that passage over in Hebrews chapter 12, that Brother Smith from the sword of the Lord preached so wonderfully on. Uh, But in Hebrews chapter 12, man, there were so many great truths in that message. In verse 28, notice the prayer. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom, verse 28, chapter 12, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Notice, let us have grace. Why do we need grace to serve? Now, we know we need grace for salvation. Why do we need grace to serve? Because just like we don't deserve to be saved, We don't deserve to have the privilege of serving the God of heaven. The fact that we get an opportunity to have a part in his work, in his vineyard, that's part of the grace of God. I mean, hey, wonderful. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. But before I get to heaven, I'm here for a while longer. I want it to count. Lord, give me grace whereby I may serve thee acceptably with, for, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And I'm not going to re-preach uh, whatever he preached. <laughs> Feeding the fire. I knew it'd come to me if I started thinking of something else. So it was a contagious rod. Not only that, it then became a conquering rod. Look at chapter 5. Go back to Exodus chapter 5 and notice verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And then down to chapter 6 and verse 3, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But my name, by my name Jehovah was I not known. And I have also established my covenant with them and given them the land of Canaan and the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and I have remembered my covenant. Now, when you get over to chapter 7, notice he uses it to turn the water to blood in verse 14. God told Moses what he was going to do. In verse 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee from Pharaoh into the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink. Against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. 
and the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall load the drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there be blood throughout all the land. Now he struck with the rod, and the water was turned to blood. And then in chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, we'll not read all those verses, he uses the rod to bring the frogs into the land. And you remember, frogs were everywhere. They were in the palace. They were in Pharaoh's bed. They were all over the place. And then I think one of the strangest scripture is when Pharaoh pleads with Moses to take away the frogs, Moses asked him when, and he says, tomorrow. (laughs) Another night with the frogs. I would have said, right now. But Pharaoh says tomorrow. That's amazing. And then he changed the dust into lice in verses 16 through 19 of chapter 8. So here he uses them to be an irritation to the lost, and to manifest God's power that this was of God. By the way, according to verses 18 and 19 of chapter 8, this was the first of the plagues that the Egyptians could not counterfeit. And so there was no doubt to Pharaoh and all of them that these things were coming from God. Then in chapter 9, verse 23, you've got the judgment of thunder and hail. And that was a sign of judgment, God's judgment coming upon the land who would not recognize the Lord as being the God of heaven and earth. God's people are a testimony and witness of God's judgment upon a wicked land that has turned its back on God. And then he used it in chapter 10 and verse 13 to bring out the locust again. More judgment on a nation's prosperity. That in reality, they where they thought they were rich, kind of like the church at Laodicea, rich and had goods and were in need of nothing, and yet they found out by the rod with the locusts that came in that they were poor and wretched and could do nothing to help themselves. We always need to understand where our great strength lieth. Now, I do believe that a preacher or a singer ought to do their best job. By the way, that's why we don't just call up people from the floor to sing in the choir. They need to be in choir practice so they can do their best job. Now, you could practice all week long, and if you don't have the power of God on you, your voice, it may sound sweet to people, but it's not going to influence lives for the glory of God. You want it to have power, supernatural power, power that comes from God, uh, then you need to be right with Him. But you would think a person that really wanted to be used of God would also practice so they could do the very best that they could do. I'm 73. There's still times I come into the auditorium and I preach from here with nobody in here. I preach the message I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. Why? I want to, as much as possible, this brain that doesn't function near as well as what it used to, not that it ever functioned all that well anyway, 
but I want to do the best job that I can do. Now, if God would have me stutter, stammer, not be able to think, listen, as long as God's power is there, it doesn't matter to me, but I still want to do the best job I can do. If he's going to get more glory out of me stuttering and stammering, then fine. That's okay. But I'll tell you, I'd rather stutter and stammer and have the power of God than to sound very eloquent and it fall flat as a pancake, nobody be reached, no lives be challenged at all. But I still want to do the best I can do. Who am I serving? I'm serving God. I ought to make it one account for his honor and glory. It's kind of like the uh, training session that they're going to be having this next Saturday for the ushers. Well, I know how to open a door and close the door. I don't need training for that. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. If that's all you're doing is opening and closing doors, you're not going to be doing your job right half the time. You ought to find out how we do it. There's a reason and a way to do it. For instance, when somebody is standing up here singing or the choir singing, we don't have people come to find their seat. They stand in the back till the song's done. Because there are people who are seated and they're being blessed by the music. And you go walking by them, you interrupt everything. So you stand back there until they're done singing. And then the ushers are to let you in. They're not to let you walk down the aisle until the singing is done. You say, I didn't know that. Well, come to the training, you'll find out. That's what we talk about. You see... Everything is to be done in order. We have a God of order. It's not just willy-nilly. There's a reason we have the choir, the, the choir, the nursery the way we have it. We have rules for the choir so we can do the best job with people's children that we can do. Now, we're humans and even being trained, we still may fail from time to time, but we want to do our best. If we just do it willy-nilly and just people go back there when they want and we don't have their food marked and we don't have their bags marked, then any kind of mess can take place. They know how to respond, how to get a hold of people in the auditorium without interrupting the entire service. There's so much stuff. There's a plan to this just to make it work. Wow, some of you look shocked. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought it was all willy-nilly. I don't even know what that means, but it sounded good. Well, anyway, then it became a controlling rod. Victory over impossibility at the Red Sea in chapter 14 and verse 16. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. He lifted up the rod. He was commanded to lift up the rod. There was not any special power in the rod itself to make the sea part. He wasn't divining. He wasn't water witching. By the way, that's the rod that was to be held up. He wasn't to go over to Judah and from the chief of the people of Judah, he wasn't to get his rod and take it and hold on. He was, he was to lift up his rod. And if he was told to lift up uh, Aaron's rod, then he lifted up that rod. What's special about it? Nothing. Moses' God was going to move. And this is what God told him. Well, I don't know why. Could you see Moses say, Lord, you don't need my rod. You can do it without my rod. 
And you know that would be true. He could do it without the rod. But he didn't. Well, I don't see why God wants it this way. Oh, quit crying and just obey God. He knows what he's doing. This is not so you get glory. This is so God gets glory. It's the way it is in all this. He's to get the glory. Over and over again, the prophets made the statements. Like in Jeremiah, you read it over and over again. The things that he said for them to do is that the people may know that I am the Lord. In Ezekiel, over and over again, that the people may know that I am the Lord. It's about him that no flesh should glory in his presence. We see the victory over the impossibility of the Red Sea. Victory over the impatience of the rock horb in chapter 17. You remember the first time that the people complained about not having water. And so Moses was told to go and to smite the rock one time. He goes and he does exactly what God says. And out of that rock, God gave them all the water that they needed for those two million people to be satisfied. He didn't need the rock and he didn't need the rod. God used that to perform a great miracle. God could have given him a big rainstorm. He didn't do that. All that came out of a rock. I don't believe that there was any river suddenly flowing in the desert. Water was coming out of the rock. Gave them everything that they needed. Not only that, you got victory over the impasse with the rebellious Amalekites. In chapter 17, verses 8 through 16, where we find Moses on the mount. Joshua's down in the valley. Aaron and her are holding up Moses' hands as Moses has the rod of God. And when his hands were up, uh, Israel was winning. When his hands would come down, Alamech, uh, Alamech, Amalek would be winning. Thank you, Lord, for letting me stammer. Amen. I mean, after all, these slaves were going out to fight their first battle. These slaves were fighting against trained warriors. Lifting up the rod, Moses praying, demonstrated victory only came through the power of God. He gets glory. As Moses continued to use the rod of God at God's direction, it was a symbol of God's power. So the people would know the power is in God. These missionaries that go out, if they don't have the power of God, all they're doing is just going through life. We need the power of God. And we need to make sure that no matter what success we have, that God gets the glory. Uh, You know, Jesus went some places where the people wanted to kill him. First time he preached at Nazareth. The people wanted to take him out to the brow of the hill and kill him. But then you find other places where Jesus preached and did his miracles and great crowds came to him. He cast the demons out of the demoniac. Uh, He cast those demons into the swine and all the people came to him and wanted him to leave. But he was the same Jesus, just as great, just as mighty, just as powerful, the Son of God in all those cases. Some preachers think, well, you know, I didn't have much success. I must be a failure. No, that's in God's hand. My job. Here's my job. My job, just do what he says. That's my job. If 
A bunch of people come, praise God. If they don't come, praise God. I'm here to do what God says. If God makes something out of it, he's to get the glory. It is important that we have this right. We find it becoming a victorious and controlling rod. But then, with all that that we said about the rod, and I didn't take the time to read all the verses that mentioned the rod. I gave you the, the uh, verses where that's found in. Finally, it becomes a costly rod. Turn over to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. The people again are complaining. You know, that's natural, isn't it? For people to complain. Matter of fact, that's what we're best at, it seems. Notice in verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Now let's stop right there for just a moment. The command is clear. Take the rod. What did God tell Moses to do with the rod? Just to take it. He didn't tell him to do anything with the rod. Except take the rod to the rock. Now that rod God has used to do so many things. But he tells Moses, you take the rod of God to the rock and speak. That's it. Doesn't say a thing about hitting it. So we get to verse 10, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Really? Really? I think his dander's up. I think he's mad. You know, the Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The problem when you're mad is you don't think clearly. When your wrath, when your flesh is speaking, you're bound to mess up. It happens to Moses right here. So then he says, Moses lifted up his hand and with his rod, he smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their beast also so God gave very simple directions take the rod speak to the rock he took the rod he spoke to the people and then he smote the rock with the rod that is a mistake, a bad mistake. God gave simple directions. You understand that most of the time in service for the Lord, it's not complicated. God wants one thing. He wants obedience. 
That's what he wanted in the Garden of Eden. He did not give complicated instructions to Adam and Eve. He says, you can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall die. What's hard to understand about that? I can eat everything I want in the garden. God's got one tree that I can't eat. If I eat it, there's going to be consequences. I'm going to die. So I wonder what he meant by that. What do you think he meant? Exactly what he said. What did he want? He wanted obedience. Is it hard to understand? Most of God's word is not hard to understand, which is why Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. When God has spoken in simple commands, we don't even have the responsibility of having to understand it. We're just simply to obey it. That's enough. So when you have promises like Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. There are a lot of people that meditate in the word hoping somehow to find some secret hidden meaning in the very clear words of the word of God. When what God wants you to do is obey his simple, very clear demands. And you read it and meditate upon it with the purpose of doing it. So this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, wait just a moment. Let's take salvation. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. I wonder what he means by that. That must mean I have to be baptized in order to get saved. No, it means believe on the Son and you'll have everlasting life. If you get baptized in order to be saved, you'll still be lost. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. What do you think he means by that? Believe on the Son. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What do you think he means by that? Believe on the Son. Put your trust in him. Jesus said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, it's interesting. The Calvinists look at that verse. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. Therefore, only those people that God gives him, gives Jesus can be saved. And all the others are lost with no hope of going to heaven. Wait, this is very simple. Who does he give them? He gives them all that believe. And what does he say to us? Whosoever will may come. If you believe, he gives you to Jesus. If you don't believe, he doesn't. But the responsibility to believe is yours. 
If you reject him, it's not because God didn't choose you to believe. No, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This isn't hard. This is very simple. Oh, no, listen, God would make it so simple. I mean, you need to be, you need to be a seminary graduate with a doctor's degree to understand the word of God. Most of them don't. Most of them don't understand the simple things in the Word of God. How are they ever going to understand the hard things? You can go through life not understanding a whole lot of things. But all the simple things in the Word of God, you get that first, you'll be okay. And then just obey Him. He wants you to obey Him. So God gave simple instructions. And we see Moses' shameful disobedience. Notice in verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. What a shame. He, Moses wasn't going to fetch water. God was going to do that for him. And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, and he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their beast. We see not only his address, here now ye rebels must we, but then his actions, he lifted his hand and with the rod, he smote the rock twice. Now, get this. All this is going on, the water comes out. The people didn't know what Moses had just really done. That command as to what to do, to speak to the rock, that was from God to Moses. Now, they see Moses come out. Remember the first time this had happened back in Exodus chapter 17. Moses came out. He smote the rock. Water came out. You know, as far as they know, he hadn't done anything wrong. And the amazing thing is this. God gave them water anyway. Do you realize... That some people can get saved listening to a backslidden preacher? You realize that? You see, that backslidden preacher, as long as he still gives the gospel message, the gospel of God, or the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. They believe, and here he thinks, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good, aren't I? Look at this. I, I won those people to Christ. No, you didn't. Here's Moses, when he saw the water come out, he doesn't appear to be surprised, but he should have been, in his disobedience that the water's coming out. There's no doubt at that moment, he's probably thinking, me and God, we got a good things going here. But he's going to find out differently. The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. With all that Moses had done, he spent 40 years with these people in the wilderness. He had served them. He had obeyed God in most of the things that he did. 
And God said, Moses, because you didn't sanctify me before these people, you are not going into the land. And he deserved it. His death is announced in verse 12. This is the last time after he struck the rock rock twice, this is the last time that he was permitted to use the rod of God. That's it. That was enough. God never allowed him to use the rod again. Imagine the very thing that Moses had used to bring great victories for God and for the children of Israel now becomes his downfall. Man, what a waste. May God help us not to abuse that which God has blessed us with that could bring down our downfall. Folks, understand this. We need God as much as we've ever needed God. We still... For us to have an impact on Madison, yet alone the world, we still need him. All right, we had a record year of missions giving. That's wonderful. $1,007,000 to missions given by the folks of Madison Baptist Church. Well, God provided us so that we'd have the money. God used us to give it, but guess what? We still need him just as much as we ever have. We're not buying the power of God. You were obedient. Now, I've always tried to teach our congregation when it comes to faith promise or any of our missions giving, you just do what God lays on your heart to do, and if you do that, it will be enough. I don't set goals. I haven't set goals. These last four years, we went from like 740,000 to 850,000. I'm just pulling the numbers. I know I'm close. I'm in the ballpark to 900 and just under $70,000 to over a million dollars. I didn't set goals for any of those years. I didn't say, all right, folks, let's, let's push for a million dollars this year. I figure when God wants to give it, he'll lay upon the hearts of the people to give it, and they'll do it. We need to always just simply count on him every step of the way. Some year the economy may be such that we don't have it to give. It's not about making or setting or getting goals or not getting goals. It's about doing what God says to do. In 2023, we want to do what God says to do. May God keep us from abusing that which God has blessed us with so much. We prayed about the land, the building, God, all of that. God blessed in a tremendous way, and it's wonderful. But we can get so comfortable in a nice building with central heat and air and wonderful bathrooms and a paved parking lot, which we never had over. Well, only part of the parking lot was paved over at uh, the other building that we were in before we came here. And the truth is, with all that, we should be doing far more in reaching Madison than what we did back then. We should be. But sometimes we get kind of comfortable. Maybe we don't want somebody to come in and then get our seats. I don't know. But the reality is to whom much is given, much shall be required. So at Madison Baptist Church, we're still responsible to simply obey the Lord. Now for any young person here, any teenager here, any single young person, a young couple, middle-aged couple, 
Just give your life to the Lord. If he calls on you to go to a mission field, go. If he calls on you for full-time service, do it. Don't shirk from it. God wants to use you. Praise him. He's picked out somebody who's base and foolish to confound the wise, to confound the mighty. Not that he's expecting you to be some great thing. He just wants a surrendered thing. You be surrendered to him. And watch what God can do. Just a rod. It was a common rod. But then it became a very special rod. It became a powerful rod. And it was God who was doing it all, all the way along. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each individual here would pray like Saul of Tarsus prayed. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And when we get our answer, may we simply obey you. Perhaps tonight you're calling someone to full-time service. Maybe you're calling someone to preach. God, I pray tonight there'd be that sweet surrender. And I know we already have a number of young people who've already made that surrender. I know that. There may be some others. There may be someone tonight you're calling to a particular service, like pastoring or into evangelism. But Lord, maybe it's to get involved in the bus ministry. Maybe it's to get involved in some other ministries that we have here. May they simply, Lord, obey what you want them to do. May they cast themselves down and watch you do something great in their lives. Perhaps, Lord, there's somebody here not even saved. I pray tonight they'd come to Jesus and receive the free gift of eternal life. Please, bless in this invitation, I pray. In Jesus' name.